The following podcast is a presentation of the PTB Media Network. What's up, Benfica Nation? Welcome to episode 159 of Mr. Benfica. I'm your host, the Mr. Mike Agustinho, here with you on a Monday this time um, to talk about the, the Classico on Good Friday. Uh, and it was not a good Friday for Benfica, obviously. And you probably hear in the tone of my voice uh, that it, there's, there's a different mood around the club right now. And it, it is interesting when you talk about, you know, Benfica and you talk about... All the different sports that Benfica has, and it really feels like <laughs> this loss on the football pitch on Friday bled out into all the other departments of of Benfica. As we saw, Benfica lose disappointingly all weekend. We saw them lose in men's handball. We saw them lose in men's basketball, uh, and in futsal as well. So it, it's weird, but it, it kills the the excitement of the fan base <laughs> over the the span of 90 minutes and I'm going to try to make sense of those 90 minutes for you here um, due to the fact that Benfica play already again on Tuesday that's both good and bad but um, in the for the sake of the podcast it makes it difficult to put off doing this episode any longer I wanted to get this done for everybody before the intermatch but uh, you know that leaves me very little time so this is going to be a little bit rushed today it won't be quite the the normal episode you've probably been been used to if you've listened to this podcast for a while but I'm going to run through a bit quicker than usual and it's not to downplay the importance of this match at all but it is because just because we're up against a, a crunch and we got you know just over got about 26 hours until uh they take the pitch against Inter so 26 28 hours somewhere tomorrow afternoon my time uh they'll take the pitch against Inter so we're going to talk about this one real quick um but there is plenty to talk about there's a lot to break down and again it's it's nothing new with these Benfica Porto matches unfortunately I wish that I would come on here and just say well we played it was just one of those days where we played well and the ball wouldn't go in their goalkeeper stood on their head and then they got you know they got a goal against the run of play but that wasn't the case we were outplayed top to bottom, okay? 
We were outplayed in every aspect of the match from the players on the pitch to the manager to the board to the pre the lead up in the pre-match to you know the the game day operations i mean everything was off on on Befica's part on friday um i know the police decided to close the rotary there in front of the stadium the rotunda and it almost had tragic consequences when they they diverted the the team bus the coach through uh a different route i don't know all the specifics but i did see people mentioning that that it almost turned up tragic and it's just another miscalculation by everyone involved in this match except everyone not named Sergio Conceição and um yeah we're going to have to hit some some reality here this is going to be a reality check but i am optimistic about the rest of the season obviously this one bad match uh does not undo 25 good ones we've had two bad matches in the league out of 27 the other 25 have been fine so i'm not going to come on here like you know, some of some of the fan base have already done and just just uh, begin throwing every player under the bus, begin throwing the manager under the bus, saying he doesn't have the quality to, to manage Benfica, how quickly that changes in people's eyes. But I think this was something that uh, Benfica were underprepared for. That's, that's the conclusion I come to after having watched it and had it a few days to think about it. But uh, we'll, we'll, we'll tackle it all here in this episode, all right? And uh, I'm going to take... A quick break and come back uh, right after this, and we'll get right into the match. All right, this is Mr. Benfica. I'm the Mr. Mike Agustinho. Make sure you follow me on Twitter at Mike Agustinho. That's at M I K E A G O S T I N H O. All right, and you can follow the show also on Twitter at Benfica Mister and follow the PTB Media Network at PTB underscore media. All right, I'll be right back and we'll start breaking down this match, this Benfica versus Porto from last Friday. And welcome back to Mr. Benfica. All right, let's go to the match now. It is Friday. It was April, what, the 7th, I believe? It was Friday, April the 7th. That's correct. Good Friday here in Lisbon. And Benfica hosting Football Club de Porto in front of a packed house. And the official attendance, 62,028. And i got thoughts about the fans in this match, too, which I'm sure it's going to come out as I talk about this match. But um, that's a great number. But when I said we were beaten in every aspect of the match, we were beaten in the stands as well. Um, the Luge just doesn't have the same energy anymore. Uh, it's it's sad. The there is no inferno deluge when when football club de Porto comes to town. It is it, it. They have every right to call it their salon de festas, their hall of of celebrations, because they have come in here now and beaten us. I. I've lost count of how many times, but in the last 10, we've only won once against them at home. And uh, that's inexcusable, quite frankly. And in this match, the crowd was little to no help. I mean, they were no help. As the match was slipping away, the crowd went to sleep, quite honestly. And again, I mean, I'll never understand. I will never understand the fan who, when when you're in a match that is this hard to secure a ticket, you, you wait for hours, whether it's online or, or physically in line, uh, in the queue waiting for a chance to purchase tickets. And you're leaving in the 85th minute. Come on now. Leaving in the 80th minute. That's, I mean, how can we continue to call ourselves the best fans in the world with this type of this type of support that just is so thick and uh, so thin and so fickle that as soon as one match goes wrong, you, you, you've seen it in the, in the fan base here. 
In the space of the 90 minutes of this match, the there is a large portion of the Benfica fan base that went from swearing that we're going to win the Champions League to we're going to blow the league, the the seven point lead. Now it's over. Porto's going to be champions. You have it is there. It's 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 sad and it's it's illogical, and I understand that people. It, you know, have a lot emotionally invested in this team. I do also. I get very angry at these results. But, you know, you take a minute and realize that, um, well, Porto, I would much rather be in our shoes right now than be in Porto's. Let, let's be honest for a second, okay? I commend them for coming to our house and smacking us around again. We allowed it to happen, but they also have merit, okay? This is not going to be one of those episodes where I where I say, you know, where I come up with excuses. There's no excuses. This team came into our house. They smacked us around and beat us once again. This could have been three or four to one. We were a little bit lucky it was only two to one. The team never woke up. We got we got ahead. And then it's like, you know, as soon as they pulled the level, the ghosts came out. And you just have to admit at this point, and they have a chant that they, their fans sing, uh, chant, you know, every time they come to our house. And it until we do otherwise, it proves to be true. And it's, you know, who, who is boss in our house is them. Up north is a different story. And I'll be honest, on the road, Benfica are the better team. Okay? And the support for Benfica is better in the north than it is at the Stade Luz. There is no question about it anymore. And I think that's going to be on full display this coming weekend when we travel to Chaves, when we travel to Trajus Monts, and the, the red wave is going to make its way through that through that region and I think the fans are going to bring Benfica back to their level of football. I do think that they're going to be crucial against Chaves and I think that, you know, the support for Benfica outside of Lisbon seems to be a more hardcore and a more dedicated support. The support at the Luz just seems to be people taking selfies and and you know, Chanting along with the DJ or with the with the speaker, but then when the match goes dead, the crowd goes dead. What can I say? That second half, there was nobody. That stadium might as well have been empty. There was no support. All you heard was the Porto fans the whole match, the whole second half, I should say. We're really that fickle that when a match gets tough, we really against these guys at least we completely crumble. Because we have the same mentality that that the players on the pitch have in this match, it seems like. It's like whenever we face these guys, especially at home, it's as if, you know, it's the, the trauma of the past 30 years just continues to come out. We were waiting for them to take this match over. We were waiting for them to take over, to take the lead. And then it happens. And then, you know, some people get off by... Finding the individual players they want to blame for it in a match in which nobody was any good. I'd give a positive note only to, you know, to Alexander Ba who gets injured and to David Nedge who comes off the bench and tries to, to create something. The problem is, listen, Sergio Conceição, say what you want about him, but he had Benfica studied and he had this match planned out per, to perfection. Every time Nedge went in what he thought was a one-on-one and if he beat the first guy the second guy was there in the right spot every time to take the ball from him they knew exactly what we were going to do okay Cedric Conceição overloaded his midfield and it worked to a T we couldn't build out any play they they gave us a press and we couldn't break it down we didn't allow ourselves to get our own press in, in order 
for for large large swaths of the match and you know that team on that side never panicked when they fell behind and we got comfortable going ahead for whatever reason it's as if we've not played them before and in the end it it just seems like an, another example of how things can go wrong against this this opponent this opponent that has had the better of us for so long now especially in our house now in the big picture this isn't this isn't as catastrophic as some people want it to be and I understand the mentality to an extent but in uh, you know it's still only 3 points it's a 6 point swing for sure it went from being a potential 13 points to being a 7 point lead but they still have 7 matches to play as well they have been incredibly inconsistent all season and we have 7 matches to play we need to win 5 of them it's that simple it is literally that simple. 15 points wins the league at this point, okay? We have the tiebreaker on them unless they make up a 12-point goal difference. Yes, that's correct. We have the tiebreaker on them, okay? Yes, the head-to-head finished 2-2. Two two. There's no away goals anymore in the head-to-head, so it goes to the next tiebreaker, which is the goal difference, okay? Um, and we have a 52-40 to 40 lead in goal difference. So I'm not that worried at this point i mean it could become worrisome i did say right here we've scored 10 more goals than them and we've allowed two fewer so we are beating them in all of the tiebreakers okay we have more wins than they do as well now with that said i mean in like i said i did come on here last week and say that we clinched the title in my opinion i still believe that i'm not changing my mind although i, I will be sweating it if things don't go right in the next round and then it, it gets down to five or four, it's it, we've seen that story unplayed before. But I believe this team is going to answer here. They're going to react properly. And they're going to go back to being the Benfica that we know they can be. Um, yeah, we lost, again, we lost some momentum after the, after the international break. But this is also a perfect storm of where everything that needed to happen for Porto did happen for them. All right, let's look at the lineups to start. All right, um, again, 62,028 in the house at the Stadio de Luz. And here are the lineups. We'll start with the visitors, start with Sergio Conceição's Football Club do Porto. Of course, uh, Diogo Costa is their goalkeeper. Manafa, Pep, Marcano, and Wendel are their back four. Let that sink in for a minute. Manafa and Wendel are their two outside backs that we had such trouble with. Uh, beating in this match which is is just mind-blowing in the midfield he went with four across the mid here um and really it was more of a five it's showing it as a four on fatma but really it was a five so you have otavio playing in a in the hole there kind of being the guy applying the press and he got away with every single late and every single heavy challenge that he could get away with in this match he did finally get booked on like the fourth bookable offense but he knew exactly what he was doing. He was the guy, you know, applying the first first wave of pressure. And then uh, you also had helping um, on the right side, on their right side. They had they had uh, Pepe, they had Marco Grulich, who was just phenomenal in blockading our midfield and not allowing us to play down our, our left side. Sergio Conceição knew that our left side is our stronger side. And we just could not build up any play down that, that side of the flank. And Grujic was one of the main guys in that. 
he partners with Mateus Uribe, who just always seems to kill us. I, I've lost count of the number of phenomenal matches he's played at the Stadio de Luz and just how many times he is so inter- instrumental in recovering the ball so quickly for them and just breaking down it and closing the path that we want to take. And then down there left was Galeno. Um, and up front, playing as a lone striker, was Mehdi Taremi, who until this match hadn't scored since, I think, September, which is just it's just mind-boggling that, you know, it seems like for them, all they need to break a, a down streak, all they need to break a slow slump is to play at the luge against us, and guys just seem to refine their form as if nothing ever happened. And again, Porto proved that you can't count them out, okay? Once again, and for everything I don't like about this club, and there's so many things that I downright hate about that club, I'm not going to be shy about it. The one thing I cannot knock and that I always respect is the way that they don't care what the table says. They don't care what recent form says. When they play us or they play a big Champions League match, and when when their their backs are against the wall, when 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 you've counted them out, they band together. It doesn't matter if they have a world class Champions League winning side like they had in oh three oh four, or if they have you know a band of misfits like they somewhat have today. I mean, their own manager has, has complained that they they have to you know sign players from the Chiwavs and the Portimonenses of the world. I mean, he even. Came out and said that that's not a vote of confidence for any of these guys. Yet, you look at it and they completely die on the pitch for their manager. So, I mean, I ha- you have to tip your hat to them at this point. They got it right once again against us and we got it wrong. So, let's see. Here with Roger Schmidt's 11, no surprises here either in the 4-2-3-1. And I still think from the start of the match, uh, you know, it is the 11 I would have also selected for various reasons. But, you know, a lot of people saying that Ned should have started. That's, you know, real easy to say with hindsight being 2020. It also would have been something if Ned had started and we had a gaping hole down down our the right side of our midfield that they exploited several times, in, and we would have been saying the opposite. So I'm starting to think it doesn't really matter when we play them. It's just they always find a way. They find some way to get the upper hand on us. Flacodimos in goal. Ba, Otamendi, Tony Silva, and Grimaldo in the back. Florentino and Auschnitz in the double pivot. Actually, it's wrong here. It was Florentino and Chiquinho in the double pivot. Auschnitz, João Mario, and Rafa Silva in the three. Attacking midfield role behind the striker. Gonzalo Ramos. And... Again, the match started the way I expected it to with Porto coming out. I wasn't 100% sure if Sergio was going to was gonna go for it right from the beginning or if he was going to play a patient game and just wait for us to make a mistake and then try to burn us on the counter. Knowing that we we have the ability to counterattack in, in a deadly fashion. But in the end, he was prepared for that and he, he just put road blockades up everywhere. Okay, He just overloaded the side of the pitch with which we wanted to attack from. And pressed us in the first phase of construction. And when the ball got to the midfielders, the option they're used to making wasn't there. And we didn't react and we didn't we didn't change. And I think that perhaps we should have switched up our style a little bit more. And um, what we did was we stayed true to the way we've played all season. And Porto continued to basically break it down. We did get the upper hand, though, after a, b- a few minutes here, and it was it was early in the match. It was in the 10th minute after Porto had, had been, you know, 
barraging our our end, our defensive third with attacks and with balls into the area. We we handled them fine. You know, our defense was good at, at first. And we did give away an unusual number of corners. But then we get a counterattack in the 10th minute. And it's some nice build-up play. Uh, well, not build-up play, but nice quick counterattacking play. And the ball ends up finding its way out to the right flank. And Ba, on his first attempt going forward, ends up you know, getting himself free. He gets into a good amount of space. And he puts in a brilliant cross for Gonzalo Ramos. It's the only good cross we put in all match. Gonzalo does well to head it. He beats Diogo Costa on it. Gets a little lucky in that it hits the bar. Comes back and hits Diogo Costa in the back and goes in. Um, it is an own goal technically, but it's three quarters uh, Gonzalo Ramos' goal because he did in fact beat Diogo Costa. It's not like um, the ball was was you know not by him. Um, he did beat him, and you can see when you watch the replay, Diogo's hands go up after the ball has already hit the bar, and then it hits him, you know, in the upper back and goes in. And the stadium erupts, and it looks like, yes, this is going to be another one of those Benfica matches where we just take over, we score early, we'll find the next one, and, and from there we will just shred them to pieces. But Porto had other ideas, and they regroup quickly. They don't panic, and you have to give them credit for that. And then, you know, in the 14th minute, um, Otavio does what Otavio does well. And that is, besides forget under all of our nerves and, you know, turn us into <laughs> into completely just uh, mindless Neanderthals is what he turns us into, myself included, because I cannot stand this man in the way that he plays this game. But he goes out on the left flank, he gets across, it hits Florentino's arm, Artur Schwarzdiaz calls it. Otavio throws an absolute fit. He has an absolute meltdown, throwing his hands in the air, shouting. He knows exactly what he's doing, and he gets, in my opinion, he gets uh, he gets Artur Schwarzdiaz to book Florentino Luiz here in the 14th minute. And that's a double whammy because that books him for this match and takes him out of the match against Chaves next week. And at that point, Florentino now is conditioned, as we say, for the rest of the match. And you see that he can't he can't go into any tackles fearlessly anymore because he's been booked. And uh, it really hurts Florentino's game in you know, especially when he's so strong in ball recovery. And something we're usually so good at is getting the ball back so quickly. And now one of the key man key men in that process has been booked and now can't you know, if he mistimes one challenge, he's gonna. You know, he's gonna be seeing red. The ensuing free kick ends up being harmless. It gets whipped into the box. It's cleared for a corner. Same thing off the next one, and then Shikinu is fouled on the ensuing corner. That allows us to play out, but the damage is done. Okay, one of our the key pieces in our wheel, one of the key cogs in our wheel, and now cannot function the way it needs to, and. Well, Benfica, though they do start to slowly take control of this match, Porto does continue to get some some opportunities, but a lot of fouls. Every time we have the ball, foul, foul, foul. They knew exactly what they were doing. They were not letting us get any rhythm. And when we tried to break down the press, they'd either get the ball. It's the old adage, either the ball gets by or the man gets by. And and Artur Suarez allows them to do this. This is my, my criticism of him. He's not the reason we lost, but he allows them to continue to... to 
rack up foul after foul after foul. There's no there's no issuing of a card for it. Then in the 23rd minute, a completely reckless challenge uh, by Mateo Suribi on uh, Alexander Ba. And, you know, at the moment, I didn't think it was as bad as it was as I was watching it. But then, you know, having the chance to watch it over, this the VAR should have called Artur Suarez to the monitor to at least look at this. Uribe has no no attempt of getting to the ball here. He hits he hits Ba so high on his leg. Ends up being a medial collateral ligament injury to Alexander Barr. He's out he's out for at least four weeks now. And of course, you know, everyone is saying there goes the Champions League for us. There goes our hopes of, of succeeding in the Champions League. I'm not quite going to that yet. However, it did get much harder. And it does make dropping points much more possible now and much more probable for us that we lose such a key part of our attack. Defensively, you know, we're not losing much. However, we bring in Gilberto in this match, and he was not up for the task on the day either. Uh, mentally not into it. And again, we we go back to the mental game, and Porto always wins the mental game with us. Okay, Even when we won the football match at their stadium in the first half of the season, they were winning the mental match. Okay, we we managed to find the goal and we managed to hang on. We played against ten, and you you know you wouldn't even notice that they were down a man because they they nearly they nearly equalized. And I mean, we've seen it all against this team. We've seen us play over an hour up a man and still lose a cup final to them. We have seen us you know completely massacre them offensively. Yet seen, for example, Anika Casillas just stand on his head and save everything. And then on, you know, a half a chance, they steal a goal and they steal the three points. We saw last season when we were the ones trying to avoid having the, the title decided. You know, we were playing in the position they're in this year. We thought we'd gone ahead. The VAR overrules the goal by Darwin Nunez. We push forward. They get a counterattack. And it's, you know, the image I'll never, I will, no one will ever forget the image of Porto breaking in the counterattack, right? Breaking down the right and watching Adel Tarapt get outrun by the referee as he tries to chase down, I think it was Manafa. Um, just, we've seen it all in this match. We have seen it all. And now we've seen yet another one. Um, again, though, I'm not worried about this too much because of what this team has done throughout the season. I thought we were going to be all right. I thought, you know, we got the lead. Gilberto's going to play it safe and just close down that right flank, not let them attack with Galeno. And, but he's no match for Galeno. At the end of the day, he's no match for Galeno. And, heck, we made Wendell and Manafa look like world-class wingbacks in this match. We just could not get anything going. Uh, we couldn't keep the ball, which was a very difficult thing. I know at the end of the match in the statistics, we, we have a 60% uh, possession rate. But that's only after we fall behind. <laughs> in the in the first half, when we're playing with the lead, we can't get the ball. They've got all the, all the momentum, all of the rhythm. They're knocking the ball around. They're playing it through Otavio. We allow them to play through Otavio. And then Otavio springs their wide players into good positions, whether it's Pepe or whether it is Galenu or whether it's playing a ball into Taremi. We just let them get away with all of it. We, I don't know. Part of it is Florentino being booked, but part of it is uh, just... I there was no fo- To me, there was no focus in this match from anybody. It was a, a just 
a complete mental letdown in this match once we took the lead. And then, you know, we think we're going to go into halftime in that I'm expecting the second half, you know, improvement we see just about every match. I talked about it last episode, how we, when we come out of ha- halftime, Roger makes the necessary adjustments, whether it's Roger or it's 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 um, one of his assistants. It, the, the necessary alterations are made, the, the adjustments are made, and we saw it last week where we score early, but again... I think we were looking forward to halftime a little too quick because in the 45th minute, Mateus, Mateus Uribe scores what is an absolute fantastic goal. I have to t- sit here, and there are times in this you have to be honest, and you just say, that was a phenomenal goal, and we surrendered it. Um, a great heads-up pass from Pepe to use to use his chest to play it back onto the run of Mateus Mateus Uribe. I don't know if this is something they've trained, if this was a specific play that they've trained, or if they just know each other that well at this point, and they know where each other is. The ball's whipped in. Pepe just uses his left shoulder, not shoulder, but his left pectoral muscle, and just you know, positions and moves his body, doesn't, like we say in Portuguese, just to play the ball right to where Uribe wants to be. Uribe doesn't even bother to look. He's got nothing to look at. He knows where the goal is. He knows where Odysseus is uh, in the near post, and he completely finds the far post from uh, from that angle. And um, it's 1-1, and it's a good goal. And you cannot be honest and say that Porto did not deserve to be level at halftime. But again, I think we thought it was halftime again, and we were asleep again. Two minutes later, the ball is played in to Galeno, and I talked about him. He gets in between. He gets into a space in between, in between um, Gilberto and Antonio Silva. And this is a match where Antonio Silva's youth kind of got exploited a little bit. Yes, in the fifth minute, he made a phenomenal tackle that made him he looked like a 20 year veteran on that he timed perfectly taking the ball inside the penalty area on a sliding challenge taking it from Taremi who tried to make a meal of it who tried to hit the hit the pool with it and tried to to get the and even Suarez is just not calling that one but here um you know the the gaps between them the the communication between Antonio Silva and Gilberto wasn't there Gilberto is often a lot of times Gilberto is out of position which pulls Antonio Silva out of position and it causes these gaps and and Galeno gets into the into the gap and comes in and finds the back of the net with a well placed shot with the inside of his right foot. Uh, he beats he beats Odysseus to the far post. Looks like it's two to one. You hear the super they're going cheering. That's all you hear is there. We don't even whistle. Like our fans didn't even whistle. They didn't react at all to this. I did at the when I watched it live, and when the first replay was was shown, I thought he might have been offside, but that's also because I am conditioned, because I watched last season when it looked clean, and uh, in the, at the same goal at that same end of the pitch, Darwin was called off for a for being offside by two centimeters, and and to me it looked like he was. Nowadays, when you look even, you're probably offside because of the way that the the rules are and the way that. And I've given my my views on this. This, to me, is not an offside, in my opinion. However, with the history of this matchup and what they call offside in this league, it has to be called to be consistent. 
And because of the two centimeters, I'm 100% fine with this one being called offside for six centimeters. It's someone said on, on Twitter, I think it was Carlos Amaru, said, get it to me, get it right. He was three times as as offside. Uh, he was three times more offside than Darwin was last season, and, and it's true. But again, at that same end of the pitch, it looked even, even nowadays, even used to mean onside. Today, even usually means you're a couple centimeters offside, at least in the two goal. And Suarez, there's no smile like he had last, you know, last year or the year before, because we've seen I don't know how many of our goals called off by VAR against these guys for for the marginal offside. I think it was two years ago when it was on Peasy. He he heard it in his ear and then he he blew his whistle, made the VAR sign and gave this huge smile as he called us offside. There was no smile this time. He just made the VAR box with his fingers, pointed straight up in the air for offside. And uh, this one goes into the into the halftime, one one. And I'm expecting Roger to make a a change. I'm expecting Roger to get it right here. Um, I thought we were going to see Nedge right off of the right off of halftime, and I thought he was going to bring off Florentino um, due to the yellow card. And he eventually does that, if I'm not mistaken. Yes, he eventually does it, but he waits another quarter of an hour to make that change. And I think Ned should have came right off of the halftime. And my my thought being, you know, we needed a spark or we were going to give up the second. And, you know, the predictable did happen, especially against these guys. And it didn't take long. It was in minute 54, nine minutes into the half. And... um Again, it's it's a fast break. They we, they break out. We lose the ball, and the ball. There's a diagonal ball sent across, and I don't know if it's from. I don't know who sends it. Uh, honestly, I haven't had a chance to really rewatch this match the way I wanted to, but the ball is sent diagonally. Gilberto is out of position, and Antonio Silva makes the wrong decision to chase the ball wide where Galeno is, and um. Again, this is this is this is the issue here. It was it was a bad decision by several players. So again, you cannot blame just one person. Everybody everybody is hammering Vlakodimus for this goal. This ball kisses the post. Does he move late? Yes. Does this beat every goalie in the Portuguese league except perhaps Diogo Costa? Yes. There is no goalie in our league that saves this ball except maybe the guy at the other end. Okay. Um and I understand everybody wants a better goalie than this, a better goalkeeper. Give a name, name a price, and it probably will be laughable because you're probably nowhere in the right ballpark uh, price-wise to get that kind of goalie. And then you, you got to convince them to come play in our league. And again, it's 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 easier said than done. I do believe we have a guy in the in the works. You know, we have a Andrea Gomes who. I believe can be just as good as Diogo Costa in a couple of seasons. And eventually I'm hopeful he's going to take the reins in our goal. And um, then we'll have that, you know, that that goalkeeper that everybody wants that can play with his feet, that can break down the press with a pass, that, you know, can come high and get and get balls and that can command his area. Right now we have what we have. And again, you can't ignore that. He delivered three points at the at the Dragon. Okay, he made big saves that kept us not just from drawing but from losing. 
he, we easily could have lost 2-1 at the Dragon as well, if not for Odi. And in this one, he he didn't come up with the big saves. But this goal for Mehdi Taremi kisses off the post and, and just maybe, maybe, you know, Odi moves a little late. He he probably could have been another step out from his line and then he might have been able to get the angle to, to, to palm it away. But there are big letdowns before he's even called into question. The first one from Gilberto being out of position. The second from Antonio Silva um, pulling himself out of position to mark a Galeno that he did not need to come across and get. <clears throat> Instead, he should have gotten, he should have, um, he should have positioned himself in between Galeno and the goal and taken away the cross and forced Galeno to bring the ball down, which would have, I think, given the rest of the team time to get back and to mark up. But instead, he goes for it, and he doesn't get the ball. Galeno gets it, heads it back across the center. Otamendi's retreating, and he has no choice, at least in his mind, but to slide for it. I think he makes the right. I think the decision is right. The problem is Otavio's right there to block his clearance, and it falls perfectly onto the feet of Meditaremi. And the Persian pool diver makes it 2-1 to one by picking out the far post. And I'm worried now. I don't have that feeling I've had all season that when we fall behind, we'll, we'll react and we'll figure it out and we'll, we'll get another goal. The way I did when we played Spartan, for example. But really, the, the sentiment of, oh, here we go again, set in in a lot of people. It was not just me. Uh, again, the crowd goes absolutely silent and... The crowd were were not on their A game either. Um, this was just you know, and Befica now the game gets incredibly slow after this. You know what Porto's gonna do. Um, it doesn't take long for Sergio to make uh, the substitution. On comes Ostakiu for Gruich, who had a fantastic match, who was instrumental in closing us down and from in not allowing us to to build play and to to get into a dangerous situations. João Mario comes on from Manafa, and actually, maybe if there's one call that Sergio got wrong all match, it was this one because he gives us a, an opportunity because João Mario lasts only a few minutes. Um, he He's coming off an injury, and he lasts only a few minutes before he re-injures himself. And this is where Roger Schmitzen's on David Nersh for Florentino Luiz. I think this change came a little late, but I understand it. And for everyone saying we're out of the subs, honestly, I think my thought in this... In this uh, match was as soon as we fell behind and once Nerej is on in my mind we have no other options off the bench I know some people want to talk about the Bacalhau brothers they're they're unproven at this point I think the occasion's a little too big for João Nerej uh Musa could have come on a little earlier but again he, who are you gonna you know you got to take somebody off yeah you could take off João Mario he could have come off our João Mario the, as you know there's two João Marios now in this match um he could have come off you could have dropped Gonzalo Ramuz into the number 10 position. That That's an option. But we haven't seen Roger do that all season. And we have seen Roger trust his players all season. And even when they're not playing well, one of them manages to come up with something to, to rescue a point. But not today. Not on this day. Not against this team. But I understand why he didn't go to the bench. I really do. Um, I don't, you know... The first thing I thought of was, of course, Gonzalo Gedge is injured because that's that's the guy we needed. We needed to go in with Nerish and with Gonzalo Gedge, and we would have been able maybe to finally create the one-on-ones and um, overload a, a section of the pitch where we could get by them and, and put ourselves in a position 
their back line was ready for everything we threw at them, okay? Pep played a, another. Here's a guy who's been out for four weeks or whatever, resting for this one. I, this guy's 40 years old, and he is just against us fantastic. Once again, I mean, he, he played one of the better matches I've seen him play. He was everywhere he needed to be at the exact moment he needed to be. There was a play in the when we were still ahead 1-0 where uh, – we, we actually success, successfully applied the press once, and uh, Diogo Costa played the ball to Gruwich in his own area, and he lost it. It goes to, to Gonzalo Ramos, and Gonzalo Ramos, I thought, should have shot this first time, to be honest. I know it went to his left foot, and he tried to set himself up with a better opportunity, but in controlling the ball, he gave 40-year-old Pep just enough time that he needed to close the space down, and Pep slides in and blocks uh, Gonzalo's shot. And that's the type of match Pep had all, all day long. He was everywhere he needed to be, exactly when he needed to be. Never once did we exploit him. Of course, again, they got away with all kinds of fouls. They they did get their share of bookings, but not until they've had, they had, you know, a number of clean, clean hits on everybody. And Nobody was ever in doubt to be sent off for this one. Um, I think the reason Manafa comes off for João Mario is because he had been booked. But as I said, João Mario gets injured shortly thereafter. Um, he would be substituted off in the 71st minute. He plays about 14 minutes. And on comes Zaidu Sanusi. And somehow we, you know, this guy always looks like Roberto Carlos against us. It's It's unbelievable how good we make some of these players look. And the opportunities are few and far between. Porto taking every chance they have to slow the match down. On comes Tony Martinez for Wendell as well at the same time that Zaidu comes on. He swaps out the wingbacks again. Puts a lot of pace at the wingback position. And we cannot get any overlapping runs from, from Gilberto that are of any consequence. Grimaldo has himself a poor match. He doesn't really deliver anything good into the area. He gets the ball sometimes in... In good opportunities and good in good uh, locations on the pitch, but unable to deliver anything of any consequence. Um, we see Roger go to the two the two strikers a little bit late, but um, let's see here. He he finally pulls the trigger on that. I think at the 85th minute, and yeah, it's in the 87th. He replaces Rafa with Musa. This substitution could have been made earlier. I get that. Um, but I think he was holding off because these are the guys that have found the situations and that have found the the occasions all season that have turned these matches around. And, um, well, he trusted them a little too much, this one. And I think he, he so much has said that, you know, they were better in every phase of the match and they were better. They, uh, they coached better than we did. They played better than we did. Everything on the day was better from Football Club do Porto. They make one last substitution. Off comes Taremi. On comes Fabio Cardozo in the final two minutes. And they go to a back three, which gives us even less space to find a guy. And everything we whip in is, you know, not dangerous. We have no dangerous opportunities the rest of the match. Chiquinho has one from distance. And, yeah, you guys can can hammer him as well. Uh, it, it is in fashion to blame him in this one when nobody was good. When... when if the Rafas and the João Marius and those players don't perform and don't elevate their game, you can't blame a Chiquinho who played he played what he plays. 
okay? And he was far from being our worst player on the day. Everyone wants to blame him because it's in it's in fashion to blame him. Uh, some people don't like that we make jokes about, you know, calling him Shikinzo, calling him Shikizan, or whatever you want to call him. Um, but... Again, he's not the reason we lost this match. Not at all. Uh, you can you can break down the goals, and there are plenty of individual mistakes made by other people. And um, you know, if you're gonna blame the reasons we lost, Shikinu's down in the seventh or eighth. Um, as far as the most obvious reasons we lost, there's a lot more reasons that we lost than him. And um, he played his match, and you look at the goal point. I'll go over it in a second. He ends up as one of Benfica's highest-rated players. And it's not because there's an issue with goal point either. And I know I've seen the hammering of people with the XG stat saying it means nothing. It it tells a story. It doesn't mean anything in the sense that it doesn't tell you which team deserved to win. No, but it does tell you which team is creating more opportunities. And... Again, the XG in this match came out almost even. But if you watch the match, you know, you saw more dangerous opportunities for Football Club de Porto than you did for Sport Lisboa Benfica. It's just a fact. And, of course, we really have no dangerous opportunities. And um, the match ends. 90 plus 7, Artur Schwarzdiers blows his whistle for full time. And Benfica drop all three points at the Luge. First loss at the Luge all season, but to a team that is very, very familiar with winning in our stadium. And um, listen, everyone's to blame from this. Everyone's to blame from the from the president and the communications department that did nothing all week to to uh, to get you know to make this match as big as they could. They we treated it like it was just another match, and it showed. We went into it like it was just another match. They went into it like it was life or death, and they came out victorious, as will usually happen in that situation. So there's criticism to the president, to the board, to the communications department for that. There's criticism to Roger Schmidt for not... For me, it's not so much the substitutions as it, or lack thereof as it is the lack of actual adjustments in the play. We didn't do something to change the way we look to make them adjust to it. And he got outcoached by Sergio Conceição. He said it himself. You don't need to, you know, we don't need to hammer it home. No, no manager is undefeated. Uh, managers have good matches just and bad matches just like players. The players didn't play well. The fans were non-existent. I don't understand if Otavio does not get heckled from the first whistle to the final whistle in our stadium. Who is going to? We see when we go play them the the just the tongue lashing that our our key players take, whether it's Rafa or it's in the past João Felix or, you know, um, or it's João Mario, whoever it is, when we go to their stadium, every time we touch the ball, there is this this eruption, this this hissing, this whistling, and that does affect the players. That does affect their play. It makes it hard to play. We never make it difficult for Otavio to play his game in our stadium. Otavio and Taremi are, were, you know, for the history these guys have against us. And we're just way too hospitable to them in my opinion. We are way too hospitable to them. And it shows. It shows in the final result. They come in. They beat us. Here's the goal point ratings. We'll start with the victorious football club de Porto side. 5.5 is, 5.85 excuse me, is their team average. 
5.1 for Diogo Costa. Uh, a lot of that, it's knocked down because of what was called an own goal. Manafa, 4.7. Pep, 6.4. A stand-on-your-head performance for the 40-year-old Pep. Marcanu, 5.1. Wendell, 5.3. Now in midfield, they just completely outperformed us. Galenu, 6.4. Uribe, 6.1. Gruzic, 6.9. He was their best player from a rating standpoint, uh, along with Teremi. Pepe, 6.5. Taremi 6.9 and Otavio with the 5.5. But Otavio was so crucial in this game and once again was the thorn in our sides. And the reason, one of the main reasons we lost was Otavio. But it was a massive performance from Gruzich. Uh, Gruzich I don't know how you say his name, but uh, he was he was huge. I mean, uh, nothing went through his, his area of the pitch and it showed. He just broke everything down. That whole right side for Porto completely outplayed our left side, owned us in this one. Um, for Benfica, Vlacudimus, 4.8. Ba had a 6.1, but he only played for 23 minutes. Antonio Silva, 5.9. He was, And again, I, I do put a lot of the, the, the blame on that second goal to a, a bad decision from him. But when you play with a 19-year-old center back, that's going to happen. And Gilberto needs to be better and needs to know that he can't get caught out of position like that in a match. That is this even when it's it's you know like for like, he cannot allow that to happen. Especially when he when you have a Galeno on that side that is eating him alive. He needs to get himself in the proper positions to minimize Galeno's advantage over him. He didn't do it, and here it ends up killing us. So that uh, that was Antonio Silva for it. Uh, Nicolas Otamendi was Benfica's highest-rated player with a 6.7. Grimaldo, 5.7. Auschwitz, 5.2. Not a not a great game for for Frederick Auschwitz in this one. Um, really went missing for large large uh, portions of the match. And I see shouts to move him in the middle. I don't know how much different it would have made because I think in dealing with the other team's midfielders and dealing with the Otavius and the Pepez of the world that come through that side of the midfield, I think Chiquinho is actually more equipped to handle that. And I want Auschwitz getting in more forward positions. The problem is we, we could not really apply a press for much of the match. We, we, we did it once or twice effectively, but we went through large large spaces in the match without effectively applying our press, and uh, that you know, hurt Auschwitz's game, obviously, because one of the key things he does is win the ball in high positions. And then, you know, his play on the ball is usually good. But listen, they resorted to hacking. Every time we try to get some kind of some kind of momentum and fluid go, fluid movement going with the ball, they would they would break it up with fouls. And as long as the referee is not going to punish them for it, I don't blame them for continuing to do it. And I mean, it, it does say something that, you know, the player that injures Ba ends up scoring the equalizing goal. I mean, that says it all. That is what happens when you play Porto and when you're not ready for a fight. When you're coming in and you're not ready for a fight, you get beat up by the bully. And once again, they came to our house and they bullied us. And I'm not even calling them dirty. They're just physical. They Every challenge they went into, they went into to win. If anyone was coming out of that challenge limping, it was going to be our guys because they went in 110% into every 50-50, into every challenge. And it showed, and it showed. They were comfortable in playing their game, and we were uncomfortable in playing ours. We were scared. There's no question about it. Our players played scared. They played afraid to get hit. And it made us play so slow that we were just ineffective at doing anything. 
Um, Shikinu 6.1 rating. Again, the second highest rated player for Benfica. Florentino 5.5. Jerome Mario with a poor performance, 5.2. I think it's the the weakest performance I've seen from Jerome Mario, not just this season, but maybe ever for Benfica. Um, especially when you have when you're a key guy like he is this year. I understand him be playing poorly when you're coming off the bench and, and not playing a lot of minutes, but for the minutes he's been playing, uh, this was, I think, safe to say the worst 90-minute performance we've seen from João Mario in a Benfica uniform. Rafa was even less ef- uh, effective with the 4.7. He just they, they had everything ready for him. He couldn't get in between the lines. They didn't allow the spaces in between the lines for him to exploit. Again, that five-man midfield was was the big difference in this match. And uh, they, they were prepared. They knew what they needed to do to neutralize us. They knew what they needed to do to exploit our weaknesses and put themselves in position to win the game. They did exactly that. So credit to them. Uh, I don't think I've ever been this... Um, I don't want to say I'm praising them, but I... It's an admission of credit to to where it's due, and that is to them. They they owned us in this match. Like I said, they bossed us in our own house once again, and the mentality needs to change in this in this uh, in this club. And it, it like I said, it goes from the players all the way up to the president to the fans. Nobody was on their game. You cannot say anybody was on their game. The atmosphere was piss poor as the match went on. Um, the players needed a pick me up, and the crowd was nowhere to be found. I think back to that 3-0 loss to George Jesus' Sporting way, way back a decade ago and how those fans just shouted, Iwamu Benfica, la, 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 at the end, right? We're losing 3-0 and you'd think we were winning because they got behind the team and told them that we're still going to do it. That's what this match needed at the end. And we, well, we, we sounded like a library instead of like a football stadium. Damu Trintioitu should have been ringing through the stadium for the final 10 minutes to let the team know you're behind them the rest of the way. That this Everything is in our hands, guys. Everything is in our hands. We control our own destiny. And the players need to know that the crowd has them. No, it's not you know their job. You know They need to be self-motivated. I get all that. But when the crowd gets behind the team, maybe we would have seen an extra spark, an extra sprint, Maybe an extra, you know, slide to try to get to a ball. Maybe that extra effort would have been the difference. There was a ball played in. I think it was from Auschwitz. It was played in to Gonzalo uh, Ramuz, who did a good job to get himself into position, did a good job to get himself in front of goal. He does everything except get a touch on the ball. He goes to head it, and when you watch the replay, he mistimes the header, and then he gets his knee up to try to get it with his knee. He misses the ball completely. I think if he redirects it, there's a good chance that goes on goal because Diogo Costa is in the center of his goal, and, and if he makes contact and it goes anywhere else, this one would have been 2-2. And maybe with a, a little bit better crowd, maybe he gets to that ball. But in the end, it, it is what it is. Uh, 5.1 for Ramos, uh, 4.9 for Gilberto, who gets himself booked for no reason. And um, it just showed where, where the mentality and where the focus was in this match, and it was not in the match. And David Nersh with a 5.3. We can look at a few stats here. Shots went 7-7 seven to seven each way. Porto with three shots on goal. We only had one. And uh, the the stat we usually not the stat that we usually win, which is actions in the opponent's area in the opponent's area. As my son just came in here there and uh 
gave me a kiss goodbye as he's leaving. He's got the day off today. He's going to the park with my wife. All right, breaking my focus there. But I believe I was saying, I was talking about the the actions in the opponent's area. They beat us in this stat. We always win this stat. All right, Porto with 21 actions in the opponent's area to 19 for us. Um, we were more efficient on the pass, but that is a lot by design too because when they took the lead, they dropped into two low blocks and allowed us to pass sideways and backwards, which will will which will affect that stat. The vertical pass efficiency, we won that battle too, 63 to 51%, but it doesn't matter. Um, the other key stat for me is the defensive actions in the opponent's midfield. And for, I think, the first time this season, we lost that statistic. So Porto outworked us. They outplayed us. They outcoached us. They, they outplanned us. They did it all in this one. Okay. Um, there's not much else to say about this match, and I don't think you want to hear much more about it. Obviously, we got the big match with Inter coming up tomorrow. That's why I'm, I'm recording this in a real uh, crunch for time right now in a hurry before I leave for work in about three minutes. I do have to get in the car, and I have to go into the office today. So um, I'm going to wrap this up. Uh, we'll look at the table really quickly. Um, maybe I'll run off a real quick uh, round of results as round 27 is now complete in the Liga Portugal. Um, we look at it. it the, the round got started on Friday. And it was Santa Clara losing 1-0 at home to Vizela. And again, I don't see any hope for them in staying up, unfortunately. Porto beats us 2-1 at our house. Boa Vista with a big win, 2-1 over Vitoria Guimarães at the Bessa. And it's someone's, it's, it's telling me, I shouldn't say someone, but something's telling me Vitoria Guimarães is not thrilled about uh, about trying to qualify for Europe, it looks like, because they have allowed Oroca to go right by him. That's because Oroca were 1-0 winners on Saturday over Maritimo. Passage de Ferreira um, missed the opportunity to leapfrog Maritimo as they lose 3-1 at home to Famalicão. Portimonense and Rio Ave draw 2-2 in Algarve, while Braga 4-1 winners at the, at the quarry over Istoril. And then yesterday's Easter Sunday matchup at the Jamor, uh, it was Casa Pia Three Sporting Club Portugal, four, three points for the Lions in front of what is the biggest crowd I think the Jamor has seen all season, 10,509, um, most of them Sporting fans. Okay, next week's fixtures. Let's run through that real quickly here. Um, and actually, we have one more one more match here in round 27. That's kicking off this, this evening in Portugal. It's a northern derby of sorts. It is Gil Vicente hosting Chaves. And then on Friday, we start round 28. Famalicão hosting Vitória Guimarães in a Minho Derby. Then on Saturday, Istoril host Portimonense. Maritimo host Passos de Ferreira in an absolute six-pointer. And that, that could be a real exciting matchup. Um, the winner is going to have a huge advantage. Um, if if Passos de Ferreira lose, they may, that may be it for them. Um and maybe it for their hopes of staying up or at least getting into that playoff spot uh, to play against the third place team from the second division for that final spot in next year's Liga Portugal B win. Then Chaves Benfica, we have a one o'clock Eastern time kickoff here in the United States, six o'clock p.m. Uh, Portuguese time in Trajos Montes, and then after us it is Football Club do Porto. Playing Santa Clara at home, give them the three points and now, <laughs> and then Sunday. 
Chihuahua hosts Casapia, Braga hosts Gil Vicente in another Minu Darby, and Sporting hosts Oroca Monday Vizela versus Boa Vista. That is round 27 the table. Benfica lead 71 points, Porto have 64, Braga 62. Sporting 57, Aroca 44, those are the European spots right now. Uh, Vitória Guimarães 6th with 41, Vizela 7th with 38, also on 38 is Casapia in 8th, Famalicão 36 in 9th place, Riuav, uh, excuse me, 10th with 34, in 11th it's Boavista with 33, Chaves 12th with 32, Gil Vicente 13th with 30. And then you start getting a little closer to the drop zone here. 14th place, Portimonense, 27 points. Istoril in 15th with 25. Six points clear of that, that relegation playoff spot right now belonging to Maritimo in 16th place with 19. Two behind them is their next opponent, Passos de Ferreira with 17. And Santa Clara in last place with 15. That's it. I'm out of time. I will see you on the next episode. Um, There'll be a Liga Tradition in English coming out in a couple of days. So uh, catch me there. And until then, see you next time. Carrega uh, Benfica, still believe, guys. Let's let's get behind this team. They need it more than ever. Carrega Benfica, Forza Benfica. Remember, hashtag if you love football, you love Benfica. And I'm gonna send you out with again the 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 anthem for the rest of the season, the the song I want to play for the rest of the season. Damu trintioitu. Let's go, Benfica. We can do this. It starts against Inter. I'll actually be back before the weekend to recap the Inter match. Um, so you can expect that sometime around Thursday or Friday, maybe, to recap the intermatch before we head to Shavs on Saturday. That's it. I'm out of here. See you later. This is the Mr. Mike Agustinu signing off. Já está tudo a pedir Uma nova conquista Quero tudo a cantar Vamos todos mostrar A alma de ser benfiquista Com menos sofrimento Repetir o um momento Irmos até ao fim Voltarmos ao Marquês Festejar outra vez Quero ir cantar assim Agora levanta o braço Bate palmas a compasso E ganhar de qualquer maneira Benfica 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 Bravo 38 Já está tudo a pedir Uma nova conquista Quero tudo a cantar Vamos todos mostrar A alma de ser benfiquista Com menos sofrimento Repetir o momento Irmos até o fim Voltarmos ao Marquês Festejar outra vez Quero vir cantar assim Agora levanta o braço Bate palmas a compasso Entra nesta brincadeira Canta como eu faço Vamos tendermos de aço E ganhar de qualquer maneira Bem fica 
Entre nesta brinca 